1: Donovan Mitchell is the exception to the NBA superstar rule, and it's a good thing for the Cleveland Cavaliers.
0: Is this the best non-LeBron Cavs team in history? We'll talk about it. I'm Mikey McNuggets. That's Jason Lloyd. The Ultimate Cavs Show starts right now.
1: What is up, Jason? We started a few minutes late because you were late logging in. We got to call it as we see it. You were doing sixth grade math, and we apologize to the people who had to wait seven extra minutes to start the show today.
0: Inequalities and all kinds of fun stuff that makes my brain hurt. So (laughs) let's talk, pick, and roll and see if I can settle down a little bit, calm my brain down.
1: We promised fan questions last week. We went over on time. We're going to do a much better job of making sure we stick to the time limit and getting those fan questions in. I already got one on Twitter. If you're watching and you have a question for Jason and myself, put it in the chat, and we will do our best to get to them at the end of the show. We promise we'll do at least one this week because we totally botched it last week, and we are better than that, Jason. But let's start with our first topic of the day. As of right now, the Cavs are the second seed in the Eastern Conference. They lost last night, but they still won 17 of 19. They're playing fantastic basketball right now. And Jason, I want to ask you as someone who's covered the team and followed it a lot longer than I have, Take the LeBron years out of the Cleveland Cavaliers encyclopedia for the sake of this discussion. Is this Cavs team, this current version, the 2023-2024 Cavs, the best non-LeBron Cavs team in franchise history?
0: It's hard for me to say because when this came up, we were talking about it, my first thought went to, man, those the, the Price Dority teams were really good. They just ran into Jordan every year, like Jordan, the Bulls kept the Cavs out of at least one NBA finals, probably more than mm-hmm. one. So, you know, it's those are not easy teams for me to dismiss. And it's it's so like what criteria do you want to use? Are we going strictly off regular season record? Because I do think the regular season mattered more in the 80s and 90s than it does today. I don't know that teams take it as seriously now. I know they don't as they did back then. So are we basing it just off record? Are we looking at postseason success? Like what are the measuring sticks here?
1: Well, I I was hoping you'd answer first so I could counter with I was too young and not born to watch those late 80s Cavs teams. And I have a really hard time comparing a team I watch on a nightly basis to a team that, frankly, I've only seen in highlights. So I was going to make the case to why this team could be the best non-LeBron Cavs team ever. Go ahead. So I, I'll start then. Full disclosure, I did not watch any of the 80s Cavs teams live. I was not born. I apologize <laughs> for not being born. The early 90s Cavs team, I was 1-2. I'm sorry I did not watch them on a night-in-night-out basis. I, I really make the case for why this Cavs team this year can be the best non-LeBron team ever. Take the LeBron years out. The Cavs, as a franchise, are 4-14 and in playoff series. They won a playoff series in 1975-76. They won two playoff series in 1991-92. They reached the Eastern Conference Finals that year. And they won one playoff series the following year in 92-93. This current iteration of the Cavs is 0-1 together in the playoffs. They lost to the Knicks last season, and frankly, it wasn't good. But here's why I do think this current crop of Cavs has the potential to not just make a playoff run, but potentially have the path to make the NBA Finals. Since January 1st, which is now a a month-and-a-half sample size, give or take, the Cavs are first in the NBA net rating. They're second in offensive rating their first and defensive rating, which tells you two things. And granted, it's not the full season, month and a half sample size, but it's not just a few games. This is the sample size of 17, 18, 19 games, depending on the team. They can beat you in a multitude of different ways. They can beat you offensively, and if J.B. Bickerstaff's the coach, you know they'll be solid defensively. So last year in the playoffs, if Donovan Mitchell and Garland didn't have good offensive games, they just didn't have enough weapons to compete with the Knicks and score And frankly, the Knicks didn't even score a ton. The Cavs' defense, I think, gets lost in translation of how that playoff series went, Jason. But the Cavs' defense wasn't the issue in the postseason last year. It was the fact they literally couldn't put the ball in the bucket when they needed to. This year, they have so many different guys, so many different ways to score points. And even a game like last night against the Sixers, they scored 121 points. You feel pretty good about the Cavs winning games if they're scoring 121 points. On top of their offensive and defensive rating. They have the fourth best assist to turnover ratio in the NBA since January 1st. They're taking care of the basketball despite the fact they're playing at the fastest pace they've played in the J.B. Bickerstaff era. They have the third best rebounding rate in the NBA. Rebounds translate from the regular season to the postseason. Rebounds matter when crunch time is on the line in the postseason. Maybe most importantly, they're shooting 41.5 attempts per three, and they have a top 10 efficiency rating from beyond the arc in the entire NBA You look at the ingredients of what wins in the playoffs, Jason. They have depth. They have a start. They have a true secondary playmaker. And theoretically speaking, they have two bigs that should cause more matchup problems for their opponents than they should have on the back end trying to mismatch size because Evan Mobley is a defensive unicorn in that stretch. So I didn't watch the 80s Cavs. I was half a year old in 93, 92 when when those Cavs were making their playoff run. I can't tell you I watched them close enough, but... On paper, this Cavs team has the ingredients to make a deep playoff run. And they don't have to do a whole lot, at least by playoff wins, to etch their name in the Cavs history book outside of LeBron years.
0: As someone who did watch a lot of those, I love those 80s Cavs teams. I I can't believe the age difference between us. Like it blows my mind. When were you born? 92? 93. Oh my God. I was a junior in high school in 1990. Actually, I was a senior and I graduated in 94. That's. <laughs> I mean, those 80s teams were really good. You yeah. know, I mean, Price was ahead of his time, big time. If Mark Price played today, he might be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not even kidding. That's how good of a three point shooter he was. Uh, Doherty was terrific. Uh, Larry Nance was awesome at, at power forward. And uh, Mike Sanders started, but then they bring Hot Rod in about the six minute mark. My, Hot Rod was really the starting three. He was sort of, you know, a really big six foot 10 playing the three. Um, there maybe was that was a little bit tall, but I, they, they had everything. That team had everything. They just, they just kept running to Michael Jordan year after year. The great, you know, if he's not the greatest, he's second greatest. And that's an argument for another day. And, and that's really what kept the, I mean, if the Cavs went to a finals prior to LeBron, you know, I think we would be saying that I don't, I think this argument could turn out differently and that it's the exact same team. It's just that they weren't running into a legend every single year. So it's it's hard for me to just ultimately declare after, you know, a midway point of the season. Yep, this is the best to do it yeah. um, in the 50 year history. So I'm going to defer to those 80s teams and say those teams were better. I don't have the advanced metrics, and it was a different game anyway. They, they wouldn't compare. Like this team would yeah. blow out of the water if you're looking just at the metrics. Uh, but those were those were some talented teams, and and they were they were fun to watch. And Lenny Wilkins is a coach. And this is how sad the Cavs history though is. That you you mentioned that first playoff win 75 in 75, 76. That's the miracle of Richfield year. They won a playoff series and it's referred to as the miracle of Richfield. (laughs) It it is a bleak history of Cavs basketball outside of the LeBron years, which makes what they're doing now all the more impressive. You know, there was that 80s burst in late 80s, early 90s with Lenny Wilkins and these teams, and then that was really it until LeBron came. So I'm not going to declare that this is the best. But it's certainly a fun team to watch. They're in the conversation. Maybe by depending on how this postseason run goes, we might. I might have a different answer in, in April and May. I know that's not what you want. I feel like Tyvus right now. That's not no, what you it's, want. It's to hear. fair. It, but, it's fair
1: because the Cavs this iteration has one playoff one together. And I know we're talking big picture year to year, but they just have to prove it in the postseason before I think they can be crowned. And once again, I'm just making the case that ingredients wise, and I'm sure those '80s teams. I mean, Mark Price, you know, is a star. Brad Dougherty is a star. They they had all kinds of different weapons and ways to beat you. There's no Michael Jordan in this Eastern Conference right now, regardless of what no. time says about Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's phenomenal as his own right, but he's not Michael Jordan. So uh, I'm just looking at the ingredients, but the bar is pretty low, and that's why I think it is a question. And that's no disrespect to the 80s and 90s Cavs teams. They just, frankly, didn't have the postseason success right. that matches the regular season success and the ingredients they had to work with. Which is a shame because, as you mentioned, those teams were really, really good. And you go back and you watch the highlights, and it makes you think, like, how didn't this team win more playoff series and be in more big-time games? But that's the Jordan effect, man. It's like Mahomes in the NFL Mike, right now.
0: Yep. I mean, LeBron did that. We saw LeBron do that for years. The, the yeah. Toronto Raptors, he wrecked the Raptors, got Dwayne Casey fired. We got like a he, lot
1: of guys fired.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of teams who were very good teams in the East for a number of years. But they couldn't get past that man, and and the Cavs of the '80s fall into that conversation with Jordan. They were a very good team. Could they win a championship? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if they're taking down the Lakers uh, at that time. But they, I, that was a team that was certainly talented enough to play in an NBA Finals. So One hundred percent, they were talented enough to get there. It's just unfortunate they kept running into, into Michael. We'll see what happens as the Cavs continue to progress through the rest of the regular season.
1: 60 wins, probably unlikely. I mean, definitely more unlikely than probable, but come not completely out of the question here, Jason. And if this team gets into that 55, 56, 57 win range, then they'll have a legitimate case without the postseason success. And then we'll see what happens as the Cavs continue their run in the playoffs. Seeding will play a role in this and a whole lot more moving forward. We talked about it today. It's the ultimate Cavs show every Tuesday, the ultimate 216 show debuts on Thursdays Earl the Pearl talking a little Cavs Browns culture the ultimate Brown show is on Mondays and Fridays and you can also listen in podcast form as well if you can't watch it live so make sure you guys continue to support the ultimate Cleveland sports show in all facets and if you're watching we appreciate y'all hit the like button hit the subscribe button if you haven't already trust us it does a lot of help on the back end Jason, as I was driving home from basketball last night, I called you and this was something I wanted to talk about and I wanted to highlight, but I want you to start out with this. We talked about Donovan Mitchell's MVP case last week, why I thought he'd be in the top 10, if not the top five, and the NBA must have watched because the day after we did our show, Donovan Mitchell went from receiving votes into the top 10. So Adam Silver, we appreciate you being a paid member of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show and watching. But there's something I've noticed about Donovan Mitchell that kind of stands out to me, is why he's a unique star in this league. And I think you agree with it. But before we mention that, to you, if what I'm going to say is not the answer, you can go in a different direction. What's the most impressive part of Donovan Mitchell's game in your mind?
2: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
0: It's probably going to be different than what you think it is. To me, the most impressive part of his game is the way he can make people around him better. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be able to go out and get your own and to put your numbers up. Uh, but, you know, we saw it in that stretch without Darius and Evan. This, this team took off. Not only did they not miss a beat, they, they they were playing even better. And I don't know if that's sustainable over an 82-game season, if you really want to play that way long term. But he has the ability to lift up those around him. And that's that's a rare trait. And that's, to me, that's what makes a superstar. You know, when you not only can go out and win a game, but when you can improve the game of everybody else, when you can create better looks for other guys because you're drawing the attention of the defense, when you have the court vision to get it there. That, to me, and that was an underrated part that, you know, I, I could, when he was in Utah, obviously I'm not watching him every night. And you see some of the point totals that he's putting up. But to see his Perfect. overall game and to be able to see him create, facilitate, play, make for others on a nightly basis is probably the thing that stood out to me the most. And now a year and a half of watching Donovan Mitchell, he's better than I thought he was. And certainly he's a better playmaker and a better creator for others than I thought that he was. I, know I do not disagree with that at all. all. Yeah, I know that's not where you were probably expecting to go, but that's, that's what jumps out to me.
1: I don't disagree with that at all, but that's not what I wanted to touch on. And I think what I'm going to hit on is more unique of a superstar skill set than that. And it's not a knock on that part. He's a really good playmaker and helps everyone. But the one thing that I think has been the most impressive part of Donovan Mitchell's game, going back to last year and even more evident this year, is the fact that he plays with 110% intensity every single night. In today's day and age of basketball, guys, superstars rest. They take load management days. Frankly, I don't even think it's the wrong move for some of these guys to take the second night of a back-to-back off here and there to make sure they have the freshest legs possible for the postseason. But one thing, and you can criticize Donovan if you want for a number of different things. Sure, it's probably all fair. The one thing you can't criticize Donovan for is not giving 110% effort night in, night out, regardless of the opponent, regardless of the score. There was a few plays against the Washington Wizards last week where Donovan Mitchell is chasing balls out of bounds, hounding guys the second they cross half court in man-to-man defense. And there are very few superstars who are not only asked to do that, but willing to do that. And this is no knock on the other guys, but a guy like Luka Doncic, who puts up these otherworldly offensive numbers night in and night out, is not asked to play defense. And frankly, he doesn't play defense. He kind of just stands there, waves his arm, lets guys go by, and then the last four minutes he'll lock in. But the fact that Donovan plays 48 minutes each and every night with the intensity like it's a Game 7 of the NBA Finals makes everyone else on the Cavs roster step their game up. Because if he's playing that hard, so do you. You you can't slouch if your best player is playing with that kind of intensity. And when Darius went out, when Evan went out, part of the reason I think they flourished, flourished was because no one took a night off. Donovan was playing like his ass was on fire. How oh, was everyone else. They all had to follow suit. When your best player does it, everyone follows. And I just don't think that gets enough recognition. And Jason, I'm going to tell a story that you told us last year. But you you asked Donovan once last season, hey, you ever think about just taking a, a night to get someone else involved? Like let, let everyone else kind of get some shots? And Donovan's like, no. Like I got to get – not I have to score, but – we're at our best when I'm scoring. I don't want to lose a game. I can't do that. Like, that, he doesn't have the off switch. And I think that's such an underrated part of why he's one of the, the 10, 15 best guys in the league. He's phenomenal. And he never, never is lacking in effort. And And it's not a knock on anyone else. But when's the last time he's taken on just a, a generic rest day or a load management day? It yeah. doesn't, yes, doesn't happen with him.
0: Yeah. I He plays heavy minutes, too. Like, he's – yeah. He plays – He last year was a, a career high in minutes, and this year he's a tick down. I actually think he needs to come down a little bit more, uh, but he he carries a heavy load. And you're right, you know, that conversation you're referencing, I asked him, would you ever punt a game just to teach a lesson, just to get other guys involved, which I, I think they should do. I, I, I have seen nothing wrong with punt on a win, if if it comes to that, but make Darius and Evan go out and try and win you a game one night. And Donovan stands in the corner and, and, and lets them go because I think that can only help you in April, May, and June. And Donovan's point was I I can't not win. Yeah. Every single game I'm out there. And to your point about how hard that he plays, I think that was really evident to me in the last year, the night of the what was it? 70 was it 71? 71 when he beat Chicago in overtime. Yeah. yeah. The 71 game. If you, I, I remember talking to a couple people in the organization about this afterward about he pl- I, i'd have to go back and look i didn't, I didn't like 56 minutes didn't he yeah it was he it was the, the heavy workload the minutes load and he was sprinting full court at the end of the game for like a loose ball or something and i remember thinking like wow like the stamina on this dude to play yeah. this minute level of minutes at such a high level i mean obviously you know there's <laughs> when you're scoring 71 points you're playing at a high high level and the energy that he's exerting, and he looked like he was ready to play three or four more quarters. And they said like he takes great pride in his stamina, and he, there's some sort of weighted vest that he'll run in and and jog in, and and it just builds up his endurance and and the lung capacity and all that. Because that it was never more apparent to me than that 71 point game of his legs just it just looks like he don't ever get tired. Were and, you there in person for that? Yeah, I was. That was the night of the Demar Hamlin.
1: I, I remember when we, we couldn't lead with it the next day because we had to talk Demar, and it was like, well, Donovan just, yeah, did the unthinkable, but someone just died on a football field, and you know we know how it went. So
0: I was at that game. Like, I mean, you almost feel guilty about tweeting, but I mean, there is a there's a whole sports world still going on, and you it's your job to inform. So you know, as as Demar's laying on the field dying. I'm tweeting about there two more for Donovan. Two more for Donovan. It was it was it was really surreal. It was a surreal night, uh, but yeah. yeah, I was I was there for that. I wasn't sure if I was going to go to that game or not. I went, and obviously saw something really really special that night. Well, they
1: play Chicago tomorrow at Rocket Mortgage Field Test. You and I will both be in attendance, so maybe we'll be treated to another <laughs> seventy-one point nine from, from Donovan Mitchell. I will say this too: like going back to any sport, this baseball, football, basketball. Your leader sets the tone, and everyone else kind of falls in place. And if there was ever any question about who the leader of the Cavs was, which I don't think ever really was a question, but it's never been more evident that this is Donovan Mitchell's team. They marched to the beat of his path because you look at guys like Isaac Okoro and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and even Garland now who's getting back into the swing of things, Sam Merrill, Dean Wade. They all play with the same tenacity. Like There's never one guy lollygagging back, and I think that's part of the reason. You have five guys playing cohesive style with cohesive effort. That leads to being the number one net-rated team in the NBA since the turn of the calendar year. The number two offense, the number one defense, all that stuff comes together. And in the regular season, part of it is just, frankly, effort. I mean, we talk about some teams who don't really even give a crap till the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Then they flip a switch and try to play. Yeah. the Cavs, for the most part there's always exceptions come out they try to start hot they try to put teams away They've done a really good job of doing that and i just think Donovan's special we all know he's special but that's part of his game that doesn't get talked about enough in the grand scheme of how good donovan mitchell truly has been for the Cavs since he came here last season
0: yeah and i know we've touched on this on occasion but it, it's worth repeating that like the, the Cavs trained for him it, it was a major risk it was a huge yeah. chance that they took in bringing him here, but they identified a guy who fit talent wise with what they needed fit age wise with, with the, with where this roster was at as constructed and someone who this was a young, talented team that needed some leadership that needed a direction of where to go and how to get there. And last year did not end the way anyone wanted. And, and frankly, Donovan's got some things he has to prove if not to himself, to the rest of the league in terms of how that goes. But on a day-in, day-out basis of how you carry yourself as a professional, how do you get ready for games, how do you compete at this level, Donovan has been everything that they wanted him to be when they made that trade. He's done exactly what they wanted him to do. And again, he was sent here. He didn't ask yeah. to come here. He was sent here. And whatever future decisions he make is on him. But in terms of his responsibilities, meeting his responsibilities in a Cavs jersey, he has met and exceeded – every obligation we talk about Joe Flacco, you know, just be a professional and meet your obligations and how wild that seemed at the time of well, That's Donovan. Donovan knows his obligations, knows his responsibilities on and off the court with the media, with training practice, whatever he meets and exceeds his expectations every single day. And that is a mark of a true professional. And it's exactly what this organization needed.
1: And he's an awesome guy. Always enjoy talking to Donovan, whether it's pregame, postgame, are just kind of catching him around. He he's he's top-notch. Top notch. Uh, before we move on to our last topic here, Jason, once again, the ultimate two one six show with Earl of the Pearl. His second episode, first live one, is airing Thursday, five o'clock. And then G Bush is back with his fourth episode of the Ultimate Brown show that is at five o'clock on Friday as well. You could also find all of our shows, not just the ultimate shows team-wise, but the ultimate Cleveland Sports Show via podcast as well, wherever you get your podcast. Jason, I know we're going to get to some fan questions at the end. I see a few in the chat already, so we'll make sure we hit those, but real quick, Evan Mobley stepping out, shooting more threes. I know you wrote a column on it. It's been a big topic of discussion across Cavs Twitter. What do you do with Evan Mobley? Now you got Garland back. Let's just focus on Mobley for the time being and spend a few minutes on it. But how have you thought Mobley has done assimilating himself to the rest of this Cavaliers offensive system? And, Frankly, taking the shots that the defense is giving him over the last few weeks. He's 7 of 11 from
0: 3 in the month of February. Take that however you want. That's fantastic. Like, and he's put in the work. Like, that's the part that, you know, when I first wrote the story, people were up in arms then. Well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Why do you want him shooting threes? Well, this is why. And, you know, he's put in the work for a number of years. But there hasn't been necessarily the urgency for him to take them in games on a consistent basis because they never really played this way before. You know, I don't know that there was the pressure on him to do it. Whereas it like, and JB said, like, it comes a point with these guys where they feel that from their teammates of like, you know, the hell with it. I got to shoot it. Like these guys yeah. are on me to shoot it. I got to let it fly. And sometimes you just need that little extra push to see if it, if what you have worked on in practice for two years, really, maybe even more, translates into games and he's never been in that spot where he had to find out so he never did you know he's shooting one a game not even one a game and that was the point i was making was trying to make in the column on the show is well how do you know what he can and can't do we haven't seen it it's fair yeah when you only do it one time a game it, it, it doesn't tell you if he can do it or not so do it like do it in a game and let's find out if you can do this and you can do this at a high level then they can continue playing their their style that they they've had so much success with, and guess what? He's doing it and it's working. Now he's not gonna make he's not always gonna make 7-11. I don't care if he misses the next three or four that he takes. Keep taking them, like keep shooting them. And I said before, like one hundred twenty to one hundred thirty three is the rest of the way. That was the number that I kind of had circled that I wanted to see as right around that three three and a half per game. He's probably gonna fall under that, uh, but you know I think on the show you put the mark at seventy five. I hope he gets a seventy five. And just it, – it, if you miss three or four in a row, it's okay. If you go for three one night, that doesn't mean don't shoot him the next night. Put him back up. Do it again. And, and build that consistency and that rhythm and that routine uh, because I think it's in there. And, and he's showing it. He's demonstrating it's in there. He can do this. Now, no one's expecting him to shoot 40%, 45% for, for a season, but just the threat. If he can become a consistent threat from three – and we were talking about Okoro today on the show – they're not going to guard Okoro in the postseason, uh, and they probably won't Mobley if Mobley's on the perimeter either. But if Isaac makes his first two corner threes got to start a game, they're going to come out. They're going to come out on yeah. it. They're going to change the way that they defend, and then that's a game changer for everybody else on the floor, and it's the same thing with Evan. If, he's st- if they're not going to guard him in a postseason game and Evan splashes one and then he makes another, well, guess what? They're going to pull that big out of the lane then, and it's going to change the way that they play. It's imperative that Evan Mobley just continues to shoot. It's not even make;
1: just continue to shoot these open shots. And it doesn't have to be. You know, Jay asked me on the show a couple days ago, "What's the number? How many does he have to shoot?" The answer, in my opinion, is however many times he's open. Like I don't yeah. need Evan Mobley jacking threes coming off down screens. He's not running the Sam Merrill offense. Right. But he's open five, six, seven times in the game. I have no issue with Evan Mobley shooting five, six, seven, eight, whatever the number is threes per game. His jumper is still a little slow. It's smooth, but it takes him a while to get it up, which means yeah. he needs a ton of space to let it fly without having a, you know, a hand in his face. And he's seven of 11 right now. We'll see what happens in the postseason. I'm by no means ready to declare Evan Mobley, a, a legitimate three point threat at this point, but he's making open threes and that's all you can ask for. And when you have the option as a pick and roll ball handler. So if you're in Darius Garland shoes or you're Karis Levert or Donovan Mitchell, and you have the option to know, all right, when I come off, I'm now reading the secondary defender. I'm not just worried about the guy trailing me. Is he going under, going over? Is he following? I'm now reading the secondary defender because if he sags off, well, Evan could pick and pop, and that's the easiest pass. That's the easiest pass back. And I'm not worried that what I do with the ball now is give it to Evan, and now Evan's deer in headlights. Well, that gives you so much more confidence, and then you can run secondary op- Uh secondary offense off of that first pass. Moby well, we could go into a dribble handoff with the guy in the corner. He could attack. He had a little step-through against San Antonio a couple of days ago Yeah, in transition from the right, and he was coming down, did a little step-through finish with his left hand. He has the moves. He just needs the space. And if he can force defenders to either respect the shot, which makes it even more difficult to guard the point guard or the ball handler coming off the screen, well, that opens a whole second option on that half of the court. And I know you guys can't see my hands because the screen's small, but this way on the backside, well, now you got Mobley to deal with it, it just creates so much of a nightmare from a defensive perspective. If that guy can do both, yeah. It's yeah. it's hard to defend regardless, but when it's predictable, Mobley's always rolling. Or a guy I mentioned, this is the most memo to Kerr's ever been mentioned in one day since he retired. But <laughs> a guy like Meta Kerr back with the Utah Jazz and the Detroit Pistons, he was always popping. That's easy easier to defend just based on the tendencies. If you have a guy who can do both, it yep. just continued pressure on the defense to make split second decisions. And we, we showed the clips last week, Steve, we won't show any video today. I promise I got in trouble for that. That's my bad guys. We're still working on getting those rights, but the, uh,
2: if you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage, this off season, look no further than the locked on NFL scouting podcast.
1: Defenders making split-second decisions is how you can capitalize and get offensive opportunities off of broken-down offensive sets. And with the more options you have, the more opportunities for the defense to break down, and that just gives Donovan and Darius, who are super creative offensive guys, just more options to get good looks for either themselves or someone else. So, Evan, keep shooting, keep creating, and just stay confident. Just stay confident.
0: All right, we got two minutes left. Let's hit uh, reader questions. All
1: right, let's do it. We got the first one comes from Twitter, so let me pull it up here. This was from, and I just pulled it up. This is from Dogecoin McRiblets. <laughs> Shout out to J One Eight Two Dogecoin McRiblets. He says, "If the Cavs don't make it past round two of the playoffs this year." Is Donovan and JB both gone, or do you think it depends on the circumstances for which that happens? I think we have four questions, Jason. Let's spend a minute on this. You can answer this one. If they don't make it past the second round, Donovan, JB gone, yes or no?
0: I think it depends on the circumstance. Second round, they definitely have to make it out of the first. If they don't make it out of the first round, JB's getting fired, and Donovan may or may not. You know, A Second round, I think, is sort of that gray area. I said on the show today, I believe it. I think Donovan needs to sign the extension, even if his long-term home is in Cleveland. I'll say if they make it the second round, JB is safe. Uh, But it is that gray area. Conference finals, everybody's safe and probably coming back. First round, everybody's out. Second round, it kind of depends on how it goes. I would second that. Uh, Next one comes from Joe Stefan.
1: Why is Merrill only playing nine minutes a game? And Rob also said, I thought for sure Merrill was going to be in that last play. So, a little Merrill question here. I'll start, Jason. This is what I think, and then you can let me know if I'm I'm way off. I'm not sure if JB mentioned this last night, but uh, as far as only playing nine minutes, there are just going to be certain matchups where JB does not feel comfortable playing Sam Merrill for his defensive purposes. And last night, frankly, it didn't matter who was guarding, Buddy Heald or Kelly Oubre or... Tyrese Maxey, they were getting shots at will. So maybe you throw them out a little more because the guys out there weren't providing any resistance anyway, but there are just going to be certain matchups where Sam Merrill does not fit into this rotation. And if you guys don't like Sam Merrill only playing nine minutes now, then I'm very terrified for the comment section when the postseason rolls around and the rotation shrinks from 10-11 to 7-8-9 and other guys who you think should be playing aren't getting minutes. It's in my opinion, purely a, a matchup situation, Jason. I'm not sure if JB mentioned it after the game, but I can't think of any other reason why he wouldn't be playing.
0: Yeah, I didn't hear his post game last night. But listen, I mean, Merrill's the 10th out of 10. And JB's already said he doesn't love playing 10. He prefers nine. So Merrill's going to get the fewest minutes. He he is money when he's out there in terms of shots. And I'll agree. I, I was a little surprised that he's not out there at the end. If you need a three at the end of a game, you got to have Sam Merrill out there on the floor.
1: I also agree with that. And Merrill did play nine minutes. I don't think he made a shot. I think he was zero for one. So it wasn't like he was productive. I'm sure if he was three for four in those nine minutes, he would have right. gotten some more minutes. Right. But uh, based on the production. But yeah, in in that last second scenario, the only thing I will say is sometimes it's tough to come off the bench in a clutch situation and and be ready That's for the moment. Nice. But but. Yeah. Sam Merrill is a freaking flamethrower. He should be on the court. If you need a three in the final seconds. I, uh, I do agree with that. We have this one from Austin, uh, Andrew music. What can JB do to start preparing this team for the playoffs? Jason, you got 90 seconds left.
0: You want to start here? Uh, what can he do? Start mixing and matching lineups and start preparing for a disaster. Really? Uh, you know, just- Start trying to play left-handed. If team's going to take away your pick and roll, start working dribble handoffs. Start coming up with creative different things that are a little bit different than what you normally run because whatever your staples are is the first thing when a team keys in on you and locks in on the playoffs. It's the first thing you're going to take away. And with this pick and roll heavy as the Cavs are, I want to see them try and diversify a little bit more, get a little bit more creative with some of the actions that they run on offense uh, and spread the spread the floor with the shooters, which they already are. But just try and, and mix up so that you're not so predictable Predictable come the postseason.
1: I'll add one thing. I was talking to my guy in Portland today, and he mentioned – I'm like, what do you start doing to prepare for the playoffs? And I love Portland, but they're not making the playoffs this year, so he's very open about what to do. He goes, well, when you scout a team seven times in a row, you're going to know their offense inside out. What's the counters? And you don't want to show your hand too early, but you could sprinkle some things in here and there that you just wanna you just want to see how they work. It may not become a staple, but – just see how certain guys react to certain uh, certain actions and yeah. see if it's something you like to maybe add into the postseason playbook. You don't want to put it all on tape now, but at least start getting ready for that. That's the last question, Jason. We did it, 33 minutes. We appreciate you all for tuning in to the Ultimate Cavaliers Show. We'll see you tomorrow on the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. And make sure you check out Earl and G. later this week on the Ultimate 216 and Ultimate Brown Show. For Jason, I'm McNuggets. Peace. See ya.